The hard part of selling your video game? Well, that's simply letting the community and players know it exists. That's particularly true if you're about to launch a new game and don't have an established brand yet. What's the solution? Well, it's creating your own dedicated online presence that lets you connect directly with players, gather signups for your email campaigns, and communicate things like updates about your game's development process or new features. You can build an online storefront, grow your community, run pre-orders and subscription programs, and generally bring in more long-term revenue by selling game keys, virtual goods, or bundles. Especially for indie developers, pre-orders are underutilized lifeline, but any size studio can benefit from them. That time block before the game is fully released, it's prime opportunity for building awareness and getting early stage pre-launch revenue, which can be critical for sustaining your project throughout the development cycle and helps you forecast your game's first year sales. Exola can help you accomplish this with Exola Game Sales. Want to know more about how to get started generating more revenue for your game? Visit exola.pro slash game sales or go to the link in the podcast description below. This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. Welcome to Twig 200. Um... We have Laura and myself and a very special guest, the founder and legend of podcasting, Mr. Joe Kim. What's up? <laughs> Kiminator Unfortunately, in the house. <laughs> yeah, he's back. It's been a long time, actually. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, Mishka is like locked away in a bunker at Sony's headquarters in Redwood City, never to be seen again. He will be unable to join, uh, but I do have a few notes from the, one of the founders of the podcast. Um, so anyway, I we are we have a little bit of a different format today. We're going to basically just talk about how the podcast started with Mr. Kim. We're going to do some quick updates. Um, we're going to talk about uh, Microsoft versus Sony in the press these days that is becoming quite a uh, kerfuffle, I would say. Um, and then a kind of talk about kind of what's going on with Ubisoft's deal with Netflix and um, a rant that I had to kind of pull back a little bit because I think Laura found it offensive. So as long as, you know, I want to make sure Laura's happy. So we're going to pull it back a bit. Um, but uh, without further ado, I really would like to talk about like the uh, the story of the podcast, how it started, uh, how, how Joseph got this thing together with Mishka. Um, and, uh, and I don't know, go for it, Joseph. What, how did this thing get going and, and, 
And, did you know, why did, did you we talk start? about the origin story before? I, I I feel like we we might have, but it was a long I, time ago. Yeah. So this this all started actually uh, basically because um, so I was working at NBC Universal at the time, and then Mishka had invited me to RovioCon in in Finland, and so uh, I went out to Finland, did the RovioCon thing, and when I was there, Mishka had asked me to record a podcast with him. I, I think at the time. You know, he wasn't recording that much, but he did have a podcast. And when I went on, I was so terrible. Like, <laughs> like it was it was bad. It was so bad. And I think like nobody go back and listen to it because it's it's very cringy. And I've, I've done a lot of cringy stuff, but that's <laughs> that one definitely takes a cake. It was so bad that on the flight back, I, I was just like, man you know, what can I do? And then I just remember, I don't know if you guys, this kind of shows my nerdy side, but if you guys, if any of you have watched or read Naruto, the the manga, Naruto starts off being terrible at clone jutsu. So he just practices the shit out of it and becomes better. (laughs) So I was like, well, wait a minute. I just need reps. This went off the rails too quickly, (laughs) Joseph. The big nerd alert. I forgot the nerd stories, you know? It's all coming back to me. It's all coming back to me, Joseph. So, uh, so at that time, like you know, I I actually I actually didn't think of Mishka first, just because he already had Deconstructor Fun podcast, right? So, and and then I remember, like back in those days, um, I remembered you, Eric, because uh, those um, those investor calls, DLG calls. I remember being on those calls, and you were always the most entertaining, right? Like on on those investor calls, and so. If you, you probably remember I reached out to you and yeah. said, hey, you know, I, 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 I think I may have actually co- coached in exactly those terms. I suck at podcasting. <laughs> I need to practice. So maybe that's why you didn't respond back <laughs> because it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a great pitch. But then, um, but then yeah, after, after I didn't hear a response from you, I, I asked Mishka actually, hey, Mishka, would you want to do a separate podcast where – we do this thing, and, he, and then Mishka was like, "Hey, no, let's just make it part of Deconstructor Fun podcast." And so uh, we did that, and then you know, and and, and then that's that's how it, it got started. Yeah, I, I you know at the time I was like really really busy with like trying to build the business from from itself, but I, I did totally ghost you. And I and the thing is, I was really interested in doing it, but but part of my 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 concern was that. Part of the reason these these investors pay me a lot of money is because they want my information to themselves and like sharing it on a podcast doesn't make a lot of sense. And so I tried to be as judicious about that as possible. And I, I've done a less of a good job over time, frankly. Um, but the reason I was intrigued is because I've been listening to podcasts forever. I mean, I, I, the last 20 years, I mean, the primary way I get my information is because uh, of podcasts, because who the fuck has time to read and and I can't even read anything without glasses these days anyway. So uh, podcast format is perfect for me. Um, and and then I, I listened to your podcast for a bit with uh, with uh, Miska. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is freaking terrible. This is terrible. You need someone to spice it up and, and make it more interesting. So I was like, all right, I got to at least try this. Um, but, but, you know, the, the question is why podcasting and why I think podcasting is great, right, is that when you look at coverage, and, and this is from working in marketing for a few years, right? When you look at coverage on IGN and, and GameStop and Kotaku, those idiots, right? They're literally spoon-fed information, right? They're not like, there's no, there's no thought in it, right? They're just basically told what to say, 
and they repeat this in in writing in these articles. And so, w- listening to this, and it's kind of a dirty process, to be honest, right? There's just no objective, really, journalism. Now, there's obviously exceptions to that, like Schreier and others that do a really good job of doing stuff. But podcasts are somewhat different because you can go on script and off script, and you can actually listen to people talk yeah. about things that are going on in the industry, and they they they. And you can glean actually insights instead of like the fucking PR spin, you know. So I think it is generally a better way to understand the industry. And so in some ways, and I'm saying this retroactively, clearly, I really kind of want to take this to another level, right? Where on the business side of it, I'm listening to these podcasters even talking about the business side of the gaming industry, and they don't know what they're talking about, right? They have no idea. They have no context for any of it. So I thought that uh, it would be a good opportunity to like, you know, talk about these issues um, because I, I don't think their understanding was there. So that's part of the reason I was like super excited about it. You know, you know, things like new zoo forecasts and anything that Jack Trenton says at Sony or whatever, you know, like it's just all PR gobbledygook, right? You need to read between the lines, you know? Um, so frankly, I think the podcast has done a lot better than I thought, you know, <laughs> it's like, yeah, I've gotten in a bit of a trouble with a couple companies like Apple and Iron Source, but uh, but for the most part, it's been good. Um, so uh, so why did you leave the pod? Is actually kind of the obviously well, I, the next question. I, 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 yeah, and I, th- I think we may have covered so well. this. I think we may have covered this as well before, but um, you know, so even now today, like you know, my daughter just yesterday was telling me like how she doesn't see me and she doesn't want me ever to start a company again. <laughs> But, oh. <laughs> but yeah, no, so uh, I, I think I mentioned that one of the things I, I did uh, during that time is I zero base budgeted my schedule, right? And so as I did that, you know, I tried to think about what I, I would do that would be the most valuable or useful for me. And I, I think like part of, um, I mean, I, I like news, news is entertaining, but you know, I still do some podcasts, but it's, it's a lot more niche, right. And it's a lot more specific to on on topics and talking with people that, um, are about a specific theme or about a topic that might be more useful to me, just trying to run a startup because that that's my main objective. Right. So I think one is the time and second is that, and then I would, I would say the third thing is that you know, I do feel like the pod is really great. And within the like game development ecosystem, it's achieved, you know, uh, you know, very good success. But I also thought, you know, at, at this level of scale, and, and maybe you guys could, you know, break through and make it even better, which, which I hope. But like, I also, you know, like one, I have a brother-in-law who has like a golf YouTube channel and he's got like 350,000 subscribers. And then I looked at all the like, like on YouTube, you've got like these video game news sites and they're getting like millions of subs and, you know, hundreds of thousands <laughs> yeah. of views. And I'm, and so like the other part was like, I, I think that maybe what I should do is, you know, um, either go much smaller, more niche, more focused audience, but on topics that would be, you know, not just news, but things that could potentially be useful or someday. And, and you know, I, you know, maybe in two to three years from now. I'll take another look at whether it's news or something else, but trying to like get to the next level of scale. So, you know, that, that those were just some of my thoughts at the time. Right, right. I remember like like make a business of it ultimately. Well, not right. a business, but like how do you achieve like a much greater level of scale? But because I think that it, to to me it's weird because I I think you know gaming is so popular and 
gaming, I would say like more gaming news is super popular, but like more like the business of gaming news is, is more niche. But I don't know. I, I, I was just thinking like, wouldn't it be nice to achieve, you know, a much larger scale? But it, to, to do that, what would it take? You'd have to like rethink things in, in a different way. So those, those are some of the considerations. Laura, actually, I'd be interested in hearing from you. How did you get to know about the pod and how how did you jump in? Well, if I'm honest, I I have to say I didn't actually listen to the podcast unless I was mentioned. So I started by writing articles for (laughs) the blog um, and they would sometimes get picked up by the podcast. And then I would tune in like, oh, I mentioned Graham. I'll listen to you. Forward to the one part where my name comes up. (laughs) And then I, I had the fortunate... Uh, just I just happened to show up at a Google event in Istanbul, the Deconstructor Fund Conference, and I, I basically invited myself along to a dinner and was sat next to Chris, <laughs> and we had <laughs> we had we had a very long conversation, which I think was mostly probably a drunken rant um, about everything, about everything. Um, <laughs> nice. Well, first of all, I wasn't drinking, but second of all, yes, I was ranting the whole time. I I think I had a lot of things bottled up, you know, uh, at that event. Um, Yeah, was really uh, that was the 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 way when you decided to join the podcast. Well, I think after that, you had said, "Oh, let's bring Laura on," and then I already knew Adam, and I've met Mishka before. So I, I, there was, I think there was more behind the scenes. It wasn't just that meeting. But for me, that's kind of the main event that happened that was like, ah, oh, all right, maybe I'll try it. I don't think I'm going to be very good, but what could go wrong? Yeah, we, we still need to bring out the snarky Laura. Like, I, 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 think, I think we get, we, get, we get like a watered down version right now, like maybe like a 40% of, of Laura. But man, if you go put up that, that, a piece of that conversation and you weren't that drunk, I, you weren't drinking that much. I, I think we could get to at least eighty percent. But we'll see. <laughs> It'll for the right topics. I'll bring out the snark. <laughs> um, all right. So what else? Oh, what was your like favorite moment of uh, of the podcast, Joseph? Besides uh, hanging out with me, I, I know that's probably <laughs> up there. Well, well, yeah. I mean, it was it's definitely cool hanging out and things like that. But uh, probably just the opportunity to, you know, get, get in contact with folks like Tim Sweeney and interviewing Tim Sweeney, I, I think was like, uh, was pretty cool for me. Yeah. That podcast, like just accelerated our growth, like dramatically, <laughs> like that, that particular one was like huge. That was a really good get actually. Um, I don't know. I, I don't, I have, I have a few, I, I have a few favorite moments of, 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 of hanging out. I think in terms of like, uh, how do I want to say this? In terms of like actually contributing something to the d- discussion out there, I think yeah. talking about Apple in, in an objective way, I think it's just something that's not done in this industry because I think people are so freakly a- freaking afraid of what Apple will do. Yep. Um, and so I think the attaboys I got for actually kind of just exposing, you know, the atrocities <laughs> that Apple <laughs> pro- does on a regular basis. Um because, because at the end of the day, you know, this, these, these insights are not insightful at all, right? Like nine out of 10 people in the industry will actually repeat the same thing I do on the podcast, but they're so freaking afraid, right? That they won't do it, right? Particularly about Apple Arcade, for instance. Like I, I, I would say 99 out of 100 people on this, on the, in the business were like, this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard, right? But yeah, and I think Joseph was probably one of the positives, actually. You're, you're the one of the 100, if I remember correctly. But um but uh, 
you know, it could work type type person. But uh, but I think I think people really like the fact that you that they can hear about like other perspectives on on these type of activities or, you know, or VR or like, you know, you know, uh, stupid Google Stadia, that sort of stuff. Um, but for me, I think the best thing for me personally is like learning from uh, Eric and Adam and others on the podcast, right? Like Adam really goes deep into game design, right? I, I just don't have that time or, or interest to go that deep. And it's really interesting to listen to him talk about how that I'll really miss that from him um, not being on the podcast. But I think he will be back to do these kind of showcase things occasionally. And then even, you know, Eric Seifert, like I, I fucking hate the advertising stuff, but actually listening to someone that knows this stuff so cold and so deep, like I hope he brings it up to another like 30,000 feet level one of these days. But, um, but no, I, I think it's really... Seifert. I, I, I don't think it's Seifert. I, I can't pronounce it properly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he hates me for it, but whatever. Um, right, you, you might be right, but I, that, that's what I, I thought. But at least I'm complimenting him when I'm, making a mistake on his name right um no i really do love listening to him talk because i i mean he does know this stuff shit cold right and um and uh and that's that's been really good um so the, the those are my favorite parts about the podcast so far um and then mishka you know you gotta say you know mishka is always like somewhat comic relief you know him shilling all his helsinki companies it's always fun <laughs> um but we'll we'll miss him he'll be on eventually again so anyway um, anything else you want to shout out, Mr. Joseph Kim? Uh, well, maybe I could uh, put, put out two plugs out there. One, next week I'll be in New York for the BitCraft Summit. So if anyone in New York, if, if you are working on something cool and interesting in gaming, please let me know. I'd love to meet some folks in New York. And uh, for my company, we're actually looking for a systems and level designer. So if anyone <laughs> wants to, <laughs> looking for an opportunity... You know, got 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 to bring it back to uh, to my company, Lila Games. All right, uh, I actually will be out at the Bifcraft thing as well. Oh, you will? Okay. Yeah, we'll see. We'll right. see you there I, in person. It's been a while. Nice. Um, I'm doing like some 30 minute presentation with the uh, Navic guys. Oh, cool. On state of the industry. Um, so it should be interesting. All right. So quick updates, and and Joseph's going to stick around and like give his two cents on things. <laughs> It's been a while. <laughs> yeah, just, I'm actually yeah. out of touch with news, but I'll, I'll try. <laughs> Sorry, just do your best, dude. Yeah. Um, so just these quick updates and a clarification. Uh, one, uh, App Lovin's saga continues. Uh, they just announced that they are deciding not to make another bid for Unity. And so that means basically Unity and Iron Source deal will continue. Um, as we said in the last time we spoke about this, like, the uh, deal made no sense to begin with. You don't do a hostile deal with stock and obviously a transaction and you can't go hostile. Sorry, you can't go hostile with the same type of offer that you did. Anyway, it, none of this made sense. And, and, and these guys are too sophisticated. I don't understand what they thought was going to happen. But JR is like, no fucking way are we doing this. Goodbye. And then that's it. So now they're two separate companies. Lots of people think that they're going to be competing head to head and it's going to be a bloodbath. Um, we'll see how that continues, and I would love to. Um, we're, I mean, we're going to basically talk about this the next time it's Eric's on. Um, the other clarification, which I'll just do it, Laura, is that. Um, oh no, you go ahead, Laura. No, I mean, I think we should share it. Um, so, 
I uh, was messaged by someone that works at ByteDance, and it was just a clarification that they wanted they wanted to uh, let us know that they were not exiting games. Because I believe in Twig 199, we talked about how they were laying people off in their Shanghai studio, and that um, I think there there might have been um, an interpretation that we were implying it was through all of ByteDance. But um, and to be fair, it was the article was a, a little a little suggestive that that was happening. But well, there was a, a d- desire for us to clarify that uh, ByteDance is not as exiting games and Marvel Snap is launching October 18th of this year. So they get a free plug from us as well. <laughs> yeah, so Marvel Snap is done by the guys who, the old Hearthstone guys who are friends of the podcast um, at Second Dinner, right? Um, and my point here is that they could be exiting gaming and launch Marvel Strike Force on October 18th, right? They're not mutually exclusive. Like these deals were already set well in advance, right? They've been, they are paid for, and so therefore they have to do them. And I, and the way the article read was that they're supporting their existing games and deals that they have, but they're 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 downsizing their gaming division. So I don't know if there's any inconsistency there. And if there's any inconsistency, it's the fact that it hasn't been communicated well. So let's let's like. If there's something like specific that you could say that that makes makes you know that that contradicts that, that'd be interesting. Um, all right. You know what, then... one thing that's kind of interesting about that. Maybe I could weigh in a little bit here. Is that this is one of the second dinner is one of the few companies that have like uh, different Chinese companies involved, right? Like typically, if you see a Tencent, and then that's gonna like close off any deals with any other, like you know whether it's. Uh, uh, NetEase or uh, or other Chinese companies, but in this case, you've got NetEase as an investor and then ByteDance as a publisher. So I thought that was rather unusual. So it's yeah, I mean, but yeah, these guys are Jedi's though, man. I mean, they they created Hearthstone, right? So they're like they're yeah. like the I, they were giving a blank check without even an idea. Was my understanding when they first went off? Right. right? Well, I, I will uh, from, say from word, word on the street about Marvel Snap though is that. Uh, of a lot of the folks in LA, like the ex, ex Blizzard, ex Riot guys, when I asked them what is the most exciting company in the LA area, I, the the number one name that comes up is, is Second Dinner. So like, I don't know. Yeah, I, word, word on the street is it's a good game, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. I, I, it's just not my kind of game, but I, I I'm not predicting. I I think I'll probably do really really well, but we'll see. All right. Uh, Scopely. So. The Finnish studio, uh, Kitka Games, has sold its game Stumble Guys to Scopely uh, for an undisclosed fee. This company, Kitka, doesn't have any other games live that we know of. Uh, this was their main game. So for those that haven't played uh, Stumble Guys, uh, it's very similar to Fall Guys, which is from Mediatonic, which is now part of Epic Games. Uh, Mediatonic is actually based in London. They have some great people there. Um, Scopely says that Stumble Guys has around... 2 million daily players worldwide from July. It's, uh, it was making about 21 million from 160 million downloads. In August, 40 million. Um, they reported it was 40 million in lifetime IAP revenue. I had a little nose around Sensor Tower just, just to have a look. And the majority of revenue seems to come from, I mean, not, not super surprising, the US, Brazil, Indonesia, Europe, and Mexico. The majority of the downloads are from the same countries, except India is actually a strong contributor of downloads here and part of the top five countries. Uh, since the beginning of the year, uh, StumbleGuys has actually consistently grown in revenue month over month by an average of 2.5%. Uh, 
my my general take on this, I mean, this I think this makes complete sense. I think if I was Scopely, I'd be like, this is awesome. There's there's a large audience demand for Fall Guys Mobile, and Mediatonic hasn't yet made a mobile version of this. Um, they say it's coming, um, but as a reminder, it's just it's free to play on console, as far as I know. Um, it's rumored to be coming for the mobile version of Fall Guys from Mediatonic. is rumored to be coming to mobile for China to start, developed by a company called uh, Bilibili. No, I have no recent updates on progress. I think, though, that um, it's a shame, though. I do think this was a missed opportunity for Mediatonic, is now they'll have to it, now they'll have to take share from Stumble Guys. So, for those that play more on console, they'll likely stay with Fall Guys official um, on mobile to keep their progress, etc. But for, for those that are only playing the mobile game, they'll be less incentivized to move over unless the majority of these players also plan to play cross-platform. Um, Scopely has an advantage is that they are an experienced publisher. They have great tools and great data. And the longer Mediatonic waits, I think, to get something out in the market, the harder it's going to be to regain share of their own game. So my two cents on this. Any other thoughts? Yeah, I a couple of thoughts from my side. I mean, I, I don't know how much of the origin story of StumbleGuys is, is out there, but, you know, it's interesting because my understanding is that it may have been, the origin of the game may have started as more of a tech demo. Like if you, I think one thing that is public is that, you know, Christoph Wegman, the co-founder of uh, Photon is, you know, it's listed in his LinkedIn that he is a, um, you know, one of the, the founders of StumbleGuys. And it's publicly known that uh, that uh, StumbleGuys uses Photon Quantum. So, you know, this might be a, a case where, you know, you're starting with something something like a tech demo that winds up being a very successful game. And my understanding is that the vast majority, if, you know, if not virtually all of the, the UA for the game has been organic. So... It'll be interesting to see what Scopely can do to to a game that has largely, you know, relied upon organic traffic. Uh, I do I, I do see a big spike in paid UA since about August twentieth, based upon data.ai data. So, I assume this was either Kitka spiking downloads to pad their numbers for a Scopely ac- acquisition, or Scopely actually testing, you know, U- UA to see if they can. Uh, make make it more successful. I yeah that that yeah yeah there's two two scenarios. One is more obvious than the other, but um, interesting. I, I actually have no comments on this. I think uh, this is actually kind of a good deal for uh, for Scopely in a way. I mean, my whole thought here, and this is what I'm going to talk about um, at the Bitcraft thing, is that like these are the type of games that need to be made now, right? The, you know, going after the core games that they have, I just don't think it's going to be a viable strategy going forward unless you have a huge license or, um, you know, some unique UA strategy that I, I don't even know about. So having these super casual games that are organic, that, that, that hit the zeitgeist, figuring out ways of monetizing them better because they clearly don't monetize all that well, like get get more better conversion. That's that's the way to go. And so this seems like a really smart acquisition from Scopely, um, generally speaking. It's interesting that they didn't disclose how much they spent, though. Did you see a price? Scopely is still private, isn't it? I they don't. It's, yeah, I don't think they have to disclose. No, that's you're, you're right. But the fact that they didn't disclose is is an interesting <laughs> I, well, reason. I mean, they've, they've disclosed many of their other acquisitions. 
Oh, right. have they? I was going to say, how many other private companies have actually said how much they're spending? I like whenever someone's private, they're all like, "Ooh, hush, hush! I'm not going to say how much was how much we, well, we spent for this." How about this? I'll find out, <laughs> <laughs> and, I'll, and, and I'll, I'll get back to you. All right. Um, next, Ubisoft. So. There's actually a lot of Ubisoft updates recently, but I'm just going to talk about their their mobile, their mobile upcoming mobile releases, and then their collab with Netflix. So, Ubisoft released an article saying that they're essentially bullish on mobile going forward. Uh, and this is full disclosure: this is a little out of my wheelhouse because I'd say I, I kind of live and breathe casual puzzle games. So they're actually not, as far as I know, making any casual puzzle games. So they're releasing. But, but let me stop you, Laura, Laura. Let me just stop you for a few seconds here. What yes. is the what is fucking going on where these big publishers are finally finding the religion on mobile <laughs> when know. now it's like in a shit show, right? Let, let's all do a strategy on mobile the year in which mobile falls apart. Like, I mean, it's EA, it's Take-Two, now Ubisoft. Like, what is going on? Like, what ha- what has happened? Okay, go ahead. Sorry, continue. <laughs> Well, I guess they've they've seen the light or they've made some change. But to be fair, they've made mobile games before. So I feel like maybe this is like a recommitment ceremony to mobile. But either way, they're gonna be moving they're gonna be taking Rainbow Six Mobile, which will see the Tom Clancy series onto smartphones for the first time. It's been in feedback mode for a while, so some people have obviously played this, but they're entering a beta in select countries. Um, and for people like me, I actually had to look it up. It's a first person tactical shooter. Um, and they're adding what sounds like for this beta, uh, live ops and a battle pass. So if they're adding these features and open, opening to more countries, it sounds like their original beta or their original uh, like alpha, I guess it would be, is going quite well or well enough that they would put more investment behind it. And then the next thing is that Ubisoft is collaborating with Netflix. So they announced at Ubisoft Forward that uh, Netflix subscribers will receive exclusive access to Valiant Hearts, Mighty Quest, and Assassin's Creed. Um, these titles are not going to have any ads or IAP purchases, and they'll be available globally, which is super interesting because I wonder how what they're doing for the funding there. Um, this is in, they're timing this, I believe, with the Assassin's Creed live action series, which is set to come to the streaming platform. Um, at some point, but they're they're timing both together, which which I actually think is a great idea. I, it, it makes perfect sense. They're gonna they're gonna have they're gonna basically be creating a positive spiral upwards of you have the live action series and the game, so people are probably gonna be playing both. For Rainbow Six, I, I got I, I crowdsourced this a little bit. Um, what I have is that it's a fantastic IP um, and F- uh, first person shooters. This one is different than the ultra shot saturated battle royal genre. Um, that's what has it has going for it. There's a couple risks. Ubisoft has apparently 11 studios working on this game. The production challenges they're facing must be quite big. And there is a concern that Ubisoft may not have the um, we not have the right positioning to grow the games if they launch too soon and kill a game and if it's not performing um if it's not performing so they may not be able to wait long enough to turn a game around or put put behind it the changes needed to actually get it to grow um and there was one comment that they should look at scopely who does this quite well sometimes you need a long soft launch to to make sure that you have what you need to have before you go global um i know I, my my position on the netflix i if these games are good, I think it's actually going to be great for Netflix. And I, I would hope to see that that 
other they used other IPs they're working on to make more games of their of their original series. I think I think it's great. I'm excited for it. Um, I had to look up Valiant Hearts. That is an old game from 2014. It was not a massive game. But when I when I actually surveyed, I, I posted to the Deconstructor of Fun Slack and I said, who actually played this game? There's so much love for it. There's actually everyone was talking about how great it was. So I don't know. I feel like that's that could go really, really well. Um, and it's a much better platform. I mean, as a premium game, it didn't it wasn't top of the revenue charts, but it might be perfect for Netflix um, for the Assassin's Creed. I mean, they're doubling down. They have. They have four major experiences coming for Assassin's Creed. So they're going big on Assassin's Creed. I believe they have Codename Jade. That's going to be mobile. No release date. Mirage is coming out on console 2023. They obviously have the live action, which I've mentioned. Um, and then the then they have the game that's going to follow the live action series. So, Eric? Oh. <laughs> There, there, there's like so much to unpack here because on the surface, this seems like a relatively benign, you know, positive like news story about them, you know, supporting Assassin's Creeds in their franchises. But behind the scenes, <laughs> like from my perspective, um, again, like I said the other week, last week, I think it was like, look, it's positive that they are bringing Assassin's Creed to the masses, right? Like having a having a live action show is actually probably good for the franchise overall, right? Again, Tencent building their mobile games. Yes, right? That is a good strategy in my opinion, right? Because I don't think outsourcing in mobile is the right thing to do because they don't have the expertise or the development talent to do this at Ubisoft and they should be focusing, and this is my biggest point, the focus should be fixing their AAA studios and making good games, right? That That's the, the focus, should be, right? But for... For the sake of all things holy, why in the fuck are they building games for Netflix? Like, that it doesn't make any sense in any reality for them to be building games for Netflix. Like, you know, again, if this is, if they have to do this in order to get this this TV series done, which doesn't seem to make sense because the TV series has been in development for years, so why wouldn't that have been announced way back when, Right. And I know people are going to say, you know, Mike Verdue at Netflix wrote them a huge check that's all profit, right? You know, they're, they're going to make money on this, I'm sure. Um, but, but they should dedicate absolutely zero resources to building games on this platform. Zero, right? They have way too much to fix on their existing broken, you know, infrastructure to support any type of new development on, on, on new platforms, right? They have 20,000 fucking people in this goddamn company that need to be sorted out, right? And yet they're still chasing rainbows again, you know? This is a distraction. This is an absolute distraction. It doesn't make any sense. Um, but this is exactly what I've been complaining about from Ubisoft, about Ubisoft for the last, like, 15 years. They are always chasing rainbows, right? And they keep spending and dedicating resources... <laughs> to stupid games and stupid platforms. They did. They were the first to jump onto VR, which was a disaster. Riders Republic, Toys to Life. Dude, Toys to Life had died three years beforehand and they're building games for Toys to Life. Like it made no sense. Fake guitars after that died, right? Fucking laser tag, dude. They had a laser tag sequence at, at an event at E3. It was ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous, right? And they've invested millions and millions of resource dollars and resources into building movies on their own, 
right? They need to focus. They need to stay in their fucking lane. They have great IP and they have great franchises. They need to fix that shit and get that stuff right before they start going after platforms like Netflix. And this is what bugs me the most. Who the hell is advising these guys, right? Netflix is a competitor. They're not necessarily a benevolent platform, right? They are a platform and a creator, right? They are going to build games for their subscription to pull people away from the AAA consoles, right? That's, that is ultimately their goal is to get mindshare and, 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 and timeshare away from other platforms, right? And they support a, a, a subscription service that makes their content worth pennies, right? Pennies, right? <clears throat> and again, they are trying to compete directly against AAA experiences on console and PC, which is Ubisoft's bread and butter. So they're supporting a potential competitor, you know, that that with their best IP, Assassin's Creed. I, I, I don't understand why they are making these decisions and who is making these decisions, right? And so anyway... And I may be wrong. Maybe, maybe, maybe this is incremental. You know, maybe as I was at EA, like they always talk about being platform agnostic, support as many platforms as you can, you know, just experiment, 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 you know, obviously all the money that they spent on Stadia was so super worthwhile, right? Obviously, like, cause that's done so well, right? Um, did they, did they support Ouya? I mean, they're probably the only ones that supported Ouya during the, those days, right? Um, but what, what I guess what bugs me about Ubisoft is why are they supporting new platforms when they haven't figured out the current ones yet, right? They, 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 they are dedicating part people and part, part of their organizations, the bandwidth, the mental bandwidth of these, these executives on nonsense, right? Um, and, and, and the problem is that they can't get games out of quality on AAA platforms that they've been working on for the last 20 years, right? So... You know, Assassins, The Last Assassins was a disaster. Ghost Recon, absolute train wreck. Free-to-play game, train wreck. Last Ghost Recon was absolutely terrible, right? Even Far Cry, Far Cry, which is the easiest game for them to replicate was a disaster the last one. They are building an Avatar game that no one gives a shit about, right? And they have a gazillion developers, 20,000 people that are failing at making games that are, that from IPs that are beloved, you know, Oh my god! Sorry, all the Clancy stuff, right? Rainbow Six. Um, you know. Uh, oh my god! Why am I blanking on it? Anyway, the point is, I think they're out of their collective minds at this point, right? Um, and then, and then back to the original point, and I talked to a bunch of investors about this uh, that we talked about last time. This back end, this backhand deal with Tencent just ensures that the the ownership is going to stay within the Guillemot family, you know, and they're going to manage this company into oblivion, it seems, you know, and so. And, and, and to be clear, I've met both the CEO and CFO of this company ages ago, right? And they are the nicest people in the world. And I'm not suggesting that they're not nice. And I, I think they are actually trying to look out for the best interests of their employees, which I think is, is, is a benevolent thing. Don't get me wrong. Right. But at, at some point, you know, you need to, like, step back and put people in, in, in control that, that actually can manage this company going forward and not make the same mistakes over and over and over again of supporting platforms, nascent platforms that are, are not going to be material to your business, What's material to your business is having a successful Assassin's Creed, a Ghost Recon, Splinter Cell, um, Rainbow Six. Like, that is what they should be dedicating resources and figuring out, right? Whether Division, like all these things, these amazing franchises. And it's like, as a fan, <laughs> it's just upsetting that they're going to just basically piss away their, their franchises to something that can't possibly make them money over the long term and keep their business afloat, you know?
So that's it. That's all I got. Uh, Eric, awesome. I, not that I've been following the story very closely, but just kind of looking at some Slack messages here talking about this. Isn't it just a cash grab? I mean, I'm seeing here some, someone saying 100 million euros up front, which is about 20% of annual operating income, and then maybe like 200 million overall or something. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, is, is, so isn't it just a cash grab? So I, I, from an Ubi perspective, I, it would make sense to me. Just, you know, take the money and run. <laughs> yeah, and, and you can make that argument. That's what they did with, they just took Google's money, right? They take Amazon. Yeah. They, they, they take anybody's money, right? Right, but... And, and 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 because they're in such a shitty spot, like getting a hundred million dollars for like a found money from Netflix, you know, it does make sense. But it's like I don't know. I, I hate analogies because I'm terrible at them. But it's like it's like a thim- you know, like the water's flooding into your boat, and you got a thimble. This is a counterbalance point. Like I like the fact that they're taking risks. I think the people, I think companies, if they stick too long to what they're good at and what they know, eventually they're going to fall out of date. So I, I think it's great that they dabbled in things outside of what they consider themselves experts in. And I mean, they could become experts in AAA games, but at some point, I mean, things are going to change. And I, I think it's it's great to get, even if the projects fail, I think it's great to get those learnings. I mean, I'm bigger, go big or go home. And I, I like VR. Even when VR wasn't popular, I still thought it was really cool. <laughs> you know, Eric is Eric is grasping his head. He looks he looks like he's in pain from that comment. <laughs> Eric, you're muted. You're muted. Maybe for the better. <laughs> Oops. Sorry. I, 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 it gave me a chance to collect my thoughts here. There, there, there is a difference, right? Going big and going home. I, I don't disagree with you. I think like having a strategy that goes after big opportunities, but this is not a big opportunity. This is a cash grab to some degree, right? But it's it, 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 it removes focus, right? Like it, 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 the organization gets confused. Like, what the fuck are we doing here? Why are we building games from Netflix when we should be, you know, fixing Assassin's Creed, right? Like it's, it's and this has not worked out for them in the past. And that's why... They are at 20 million, sorry, and I've said this a million times and I hate to repeat the same thing, is that they have 20,000 people in their company. They are literally the size of Activision and EA and they make one quarter of the revenue. One quarter, right? That is an impossible situation to be in, right? That, that, that cannot continue. And adding in layers and layers of different things to, that they're doing does not help in matters. Making movies, making TV, making videos, Making games for Netflix, making things for Stadia, making you know, even even to some degree their 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 uh, Nintendo strategy, right? Like focus, right? Focus, focus, focus. Like set clear goals, clear objectives for each of the franchises. Like fix their pipeline, right? Stop making Avatar. Why would they ever make an Avatar game? That is the dumbest idea ever. Like it's a terrible license. I don't care how much money they were given, right? They've been in development hell. For this game, because it, the movie's been delayed so long, they've been spent, I bet they've spent three or four hundred million dollars on a game that can't ever sell more than like two or three million units, right? Like, what do you, why are these things getting greenlit is what I'm just trying to tell you. It's like, it's all part of the same problem, right? It's, and, 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 sorry, it goes beyond this too. It's like all these franchises, I, I wrote a list of them that are just so stupid. Like, all right, all right, all right. I'm, I, look, I've already t- ranted about this enough. I, and again, the biggest problem now is that there's no check and balance with this. These guys are just continuing to manage it. They've they've locked it in with Tencent now that they, they are in charge, right? So they're going to do whatever they want to do, right? Because there's no there's no uh, shareholder like um, 
review on any of this stuff because they're in absolute control. So um, it, it's, uh, but I guess my frustration is that Ubisoft, as much as I love them and love their IP, obviously, clearly, I love them a lot. It, they're uninvestable. Like, I, I can't recommend this stock for anybody. You know, it, it's impossible, even though I, I think they have a great position in the industry. So anyway, maybe I'll change my tune. Maybe they'll execute against all this stuff. The Assassin's Creed stuff, like, yeah, I, I didn't even mention about that. Like, so the Assassin's Creed game that's coming out next year is basically a a, 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 um, a port, not a port, a, a 1.5 version or like a, a um, expansion, right, to the last one, which should be okay, right? But it's, you know, it's it's a $40 game, right? It's, it's, it's meaningless, really. But really, the next game, that is the critical game that's coming out that's in, in feudal Japan, and it's going to be like a digital service of some sort. Like, that's the hero skew. Like, if, if that, that thing starts tracking well, then, then it gets a little bit more interesting. But that's what they have to execute against, right? All this other shit is irrelevant, right? Stop making these stupid games. <laughs> all right, all right, moving on. All right. Who do you recommend, if, if, not, uh, I, I, if not Ubi? I think Activision, EA, and Take-Two. You know, t- okay. all of them are great. And Sony and Nintendo. Like, okay. all of them are in a really good position for this next cycle. As soon as we get through this, like, doldrums and all this, like, press nonsense about the dying, you know, gaming industry, which is all bullshit. But um, anyway, come join the big crap thing. We'll talk about it there. Okay. Uh, Microsoft versus Sony. All right. (laughs) This is kind of a... There's a couple headlines that kind of, like, dovetail with this. It's like, it is a PR battle. This is Game of Thrones shit, right? This This has nothing to do with Microsoft or Sony, really. This is just... Fucking McKenzie and Bain and bankers and PR agencies and they are fucking battling in a world war of worlds, right? I'm all jack, I'm all Jack right now, and it's fucking amazing to watch, right? These are hired guns that are so above my pay grade that I I I, 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 I shouldn't even be commenting on this stuff because I, I I don't even know how these guys operate, but but as 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 an observer, I think it's it, it is amazing, right? Um, the uh, it. it it's like filled like with intrigue and, and, and war of words and, you know, these PhDs, these lawyers, these PR guys, gurus that are like manufact- manufacturing all these words that are being used to describe things. So anyway, I, I have a distinct feeling that Sony doesn't have a chance. I have a no fucking chance on this, right? They, they can't compete with the deep pockets of, of Microsoft, right? These guys have experts upon experts, lawyers. They even have paid lobbyists, Microsoft does, right? They get what they want, right? And Sony just doesn't have that kind of infrastructure to really support this effort. So, and, and and the other thing is that Microsoft, this is not their first rodeo, dude. They've been accused of all kinds of shit for years, right? So they have tons of people on retainer that deal with this stuff, right? So I, I think they have all their ducks in a row to get this deal done. But as I've said many times, the stock is trading, Activision stock is trading in a way that, that makes this deal less and less likely as we as we, going forward. So, so there are some contingents that believe that this is not going to happen. All right, so what's the latest kind of drama? So basically, PlayStation says in the press that uh, e- that Microsoft's uh, CEO's promise to keep Call of Duty multi-platform is ina- inadequate. It's what they said. Um, um, and that they're afraid that it will become exclusive to Xbox and that will hurt their competitive position in the industry, right? And so... They further go on, these are quotes, so I, I hate to use quotes, but that's, it's, it's much easier. So he said, Microsoft has only offered the Call of Duty remain in PlayStation for three years after the current agreement between Activision and Sony ends. This is uh, Sean Ryan. 
After almost 20 years of Call of Duty on PlayStation, their proposal was completely inadequate, was inadequate on many levels and failed to take account of the impact to our gamers. We want to guarantee PlayStation gamers continue to have a highest quality Call of Duty experience and Microsoft proposal undermines this principle. All right, so that's their contention, is that Microsoft is basically not acting in good faith, that they will keep the franchise on and that will have impact to their business. Microsoft responds to Sony's claims uh, that... Um, that basically numerous third parties in this, in this uh, um, uh, what is it? It was a survey done by uh, the, the, uh, the Brazilian authority, including Ubisoft and Namco, said that the only company that, that did not claim that, that, that Call of Duty was that important to the platform and that, um, and that the only person that said that was Sony was that it was a genre with, with no competition and, and was a platform that was, uh, that was super in- integral to the, uh, to the industry. So anyway, I, I, so this is part of the regulatory issues. Like they're writing these reports and sending it to, to agencies in order to get approvals. And I don't really understand all this. So I'm not even going to go. Ahead. So what Sony contends is that Call of Duty is a platform or a gaming category of its own. Microsoft says that Sony doesn't want to see Call of Duty games on Game Pass on day one because it is resentful to have to compete with Microsoft's subscription service, right? Sony doesn't want an active, attractive subscription service to threaten the dominance in digital distribution and market for console gamers, right? So those are the two arguments. One is that Call of Duty is a, is a platform and it is an integral part of, of making Sony's platform compelling. Microsoft is saying that they don't want to compete against a, a superior kind of business model with a subscription for the customer, right? Now, the truth is somewhere in the middle, Right. It's kind of what they're arguing, I think, or what people have argued. Right. But I personally think that Sony is on the right. I'm leaning towards the Sony point of view. Call of Duty is a platform. Right. It is the biggest platform. One of the biggest platforms in gaming. I think the only one that's probably bigger in the West is League of Legends, if I'm correct. I'm trying to think of anything that could be bigger than Call of Duty. It is literally the biggest game. FIFA. FIFA is close. But it is like the biggest game every year for the last, I think, 15 years. It's, it's unbelievable how big this thing is. And not to mention the DAU and MAU to support it are, are, are massive uh, relative to other games. Um, and game engagement has continually gone up over the last uh, five, six years until last year, which was a disaster, as we all know. So Microsoft is basically claiming that this claim is wrong by Sony. And I'm going to continue here is that it's not part of Microsoft's strategy to remove content from player and Call of Duty will still be on PlayStations as a paid game. Um, they, uh, they, <laughs> Sony's claims ignores the dynamic nature of subscription services and that Sony has its own subscription service. Um, and there are new, numerous other games channels and subscription service, many of which include content that's not available on Xbox. So they're probably arguing this, but the, the big argument that they make that I wanted to come out is that Microsoft is further saying that Sony is actually blocking third parties from being part of Game Pass, Right. So in order for them to get support from Sony, they, they have to promise not to be part of Game Pass, which I am sure is happening. <laughs> so that's, that's also their claim. So anyway, this is really, really complicated and it's really, really like detailed. And as I said, this is above my pay grade in terms of how these people are negotiating it, what it takes to get governments on board, because they don't have to only go for the US, they have to go to UK, they have to go to EU, they have to go to Switzerland, they have to go to freaking Brazil of all places, which is not even a big console thing. The fact that they're doing this in Brazil, but it's freaking fun to watch, right? 
Um, and I, and I, and I'm excited to see if this actual deal can ever get done. I personally think that, um, I, sorry, what I would say is safe to predict that Microsoft's going to win this, right? I just think they have the deep pockets and they have this. Um, but my opinion is that it, this is anti-competitive in a lot of ways, right? I think this is going to be a very bad thing for Sony's platforms going forward because no matter what Microsoft says, and this is the first thing I said when this was announced, Microsoft is going to go exclusive with Call of Duty and they're going to make it a lesser game on Sony's platforms. One of the things they were talking about, and I, I said before, is that they maybe will have an Xbox um, subscription button on Sony and say, hey, we're, we're allowing people to play Call of Duty on Sony's platform if they you know, subscribe to xCloud or something like that. Some nonsense. Um, but but I, I do think this is a, is a gangster move by Microsoft and it will cause problems for Sony and it is anti-competitive. I just don't think Sony has the juice to make this thing happen. But on the flip side... My my instinct and my gut, and I, I know I'm 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 hedging here. My instinct and my gut is something's going to trip them up, like the the Europeans or some kind of like maybe it's a politician in the West that just gets gets some kind of hard on for this thing, and and they just they just try to block it and and they go crazy, you know. I, there's something that's going to happen to trip this up, but um, but uh, but I don't know. I, it, this is a tough one, but it's going to be fun to watch. Anybody have any thoughts on this, or is this just me speaking, speaking nonsense? No? Yeah. No. <laughs> Do you guys own platforms? Do you guys have a console? Yeah, I've got, I've got all of them, except for the PS5. Oh, I, I only have the PS5 and a Switch. Okay. And uh, your kids are not old enough to play Call of Duty yet, are they? Uh, they are, but I think... Uh, so my oldest son play, mainly plays either Valorant or Apex Legends Mobile. Okay. Interesting. So, so, well, actually, sorry, changing the subject a little bit. Like, what do you think about... So, now, now Joseph came on the podcast. <laughs> I, I, I forgot. I mean, what do you think about the shooter category right now with Apex? Like, I think... Um, oh, I'm Apex totally changing is awesome. subject here. Yeah, yeah. So are you, are you now, talking Apex about... Apex is, is an amazing mobile? game, but it, it is yeah. a disaster. Like it is a disaster of epic proportions in terms of from a monetization perspective, or what do you what do you mean? Because the it's game the whole, itself is executed so well. I know, I know, and that, that's what we were saying. Incredible and, technical achievement. Yeah, <laughs> it's a beautiful game. I mean, yes. it is really well done. Now, I have my theories about why it hasn't done well. I, I at first I thought they weren't spending enough dollars on marketing, but I, I did hear specifically they they spent gajillions on marketing for this game. Okay. And maybe they spent it in the wrong way. I don't know. Maybe it was too much influencer, not enough UA. I don't know. Maybe the mix was wrong, but they just did not get the results that I expected. Like, what do you think about that? About the launch and, and, and where it is right now? Yeah, I mean, I actually haven't been looking at the specific uh, revenue or, or uh, kind of download numbers, but... Um, I do think that uh, one one thing that's interesting is just uh, some of the decisions they made in terms of the game itself, right? I, I think that um, it's very you can see the like Chinese development mentality in in the game, and it doesn't have, uh, in my opinion, uh, it, they they kind of did a Chinese menu with the game, just creating like every mode, adding in like uh, third person perspective in addition to first person perspective. They they try to make it like a, a game that fits anybody. And that can try and capture as many players from other games as possible, right? So, I don't know. I, I do feel it could have been 
um, focused a little bit more. And then they, they did the typical sort of strategy in terms of um, what I call core loop fragmentation in the game, um, which I don't know, I, you know, I, I don't quite agree with, but um, you know, it's, it's popular with Chinese developers. So, yeah, I mean, they're also the notion is that the core gameplay is off putting to some, I mean, they got like 30 million downloads, mostly in the U S the core gameplay, meaning like, uh, the, the battle Royale experience or well, how Twitch it is first person slash their, but it's like, it's not as uh, user friendly, like, um, or new, new player know. friendly. I, I, I actually think that they, they actually added a number of, um, features in the game to try and make it use as user friendly as possible. Right. So like they, they, um, beefed up the tutorial mode in the game. Yeah. Um, it's very accommodative. Um, there's definitely a lot more bot integration in the game than in other games. Um, so you can tell that they're like one of the big mistakes that a lot of um, Western game developers make is trying to that generally like when you see like especially like AAA guys that go to mobile is that they don't realize that progression actually trumps skill cap and um, competitive gameplay on mobile. So that's one thing I think that the Apex Legends guys understood and uh so like when you when you like for example the shooting the gunplay it's all very accommodative right it's all uh you know significant aim assist the way that they did the auto looting system uh so i would say like the the game's just well executed uh but kind of designed to try and capture everyone they they made it very broad which you know may have been a mistake. And then I think the the bigger thing is just like the monetization. Definitely, you know, you, you can see the 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 HD game maker influence there, the friendly monetization there. Okay. Huh. Yeah, it's gonna be interesting. I just think about games like Rainbow Six trying to do this and it's like it seems impossible to carve out a niche. Uh, I you... assume it'll be similar, right, to what um I mean they're, they're gonna I mean Unless they go, it's. I think it's very difficult to to create a uh, a very unique experience for some of those guys because it's very risky. I mean, that's what we're doing. We're we're trying to create something that's very very different. But you know, we're we're kind of at the extreme end of risk. So uh, what what we're going to do is just going to be fucking crazy. So yeah. All right. Well. Anyway, thanks for coming on, Joseph. Uh, it was good actually to see you, and we'll see you this, I guess, next Monday, right? For um, Bitcraft. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It'd be good yeah. to see you in person. What the, and, when are you getting? Uh, we'll talk uh, offline. Yeah. Um, but anyway, thanks uh, for uh, Twig Two Hundred. Thanks for starting this thing. It's been really fun. I'm, I'm, I do look forward to this every week. Um, and I think one of the things I'm thinking about doing is doing a uh, best best of rants. <laughs> I'm trying to pull that together, but I, I think it's a bit of a challenge. It takes a lot of time to go through all that stuff, but I, I have a few that I would love to like re-listen to. Maybe they'll be cringy, but um, I, I might try and do that. Um, but anyway, uh, thanks again for getting this thing started, and uh, good luck with your game. Cool. All right. Bye, guys. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening to the whole episode. If you like this podcast, please do leave a comment and share the episode. If you want to access the Deconstructor of Fun community with hundreds of senior games folk, go to our website and apply to the Slack group. And if you want to get notified of all the new content we have coming out every week, do subscribe to the weekly Deconstructor of Fun newsletter. 
Finally, do remember, we love you guys and we appreciate you guys. Catch you next time.